Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted today to be joined by Matt Hussein, who's Change and Productivity Manager for Well Pharmacy. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Very well, Simon. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. We've talked on a couple of podcasts about how strange the world is, but one of those industries that was open during the whole of lockdown and since was pharmacy, essential for getting people their medication and helping them through that difficult phase. So we're going to talk today about kind of what life was like running a chain of pharmacies during lockdown and post that. But before we get into the detail, it might be good to understand a bit more about you. Clearly, you're, you're at Well now, looking after all the change in productivity stuff. We work with you on the labour modelling and the, the labour standards. But what did you do in life before you arrived at that role? So 20 or so years ago, which has flown by, started life as a pharmacist. So I did my pre-reg with Boots left Boots to go and work for, for a small independent, so a chain of around 12 pharmacies in the South Wales Valleys. That business was bought by Core Pharmacy back in 2007. During that time, moved from being a, a pharmacist and a pharmacist branch manager to, to an area manager. And in 2014, we were bought by Well, so we're now currently the, the biggest independently owned pharmacy chain in the UK. After that, in December realized that I had some aspirations to work in a central role related to projects, related to change. So moved moved to a central role from January, doing a, doing a change, change role. And during that time, the productivity lead, unfortunately, was really unwell. So kind of had to adapt and, and shift into that role. And from June, June this year, have been doing that role permanently, the, the dual role of change and productivity manager. Good to get to know you over that time, even though Probably a difficult, slightly difficult time to take on a new role in uh, in head office with all that's happened in the world as well. It's difficult for everyone. Everyone's had to adapt. Everyone's had to, had to change the ways of working. So, so no different. It just accelerates. It's quite reassuring to realise how capable how capable people are in in a crisis, should we call it, or in a, in a time of uncertainty. Your guys have um, been running the branches throughout the pandemic as, as best they can, clearly, because it's one of those essential companies that gives out healthcare and provides that stability for people that needed it through that period. When things were first announced, what kind of things did you do internally and talk to the other members of the team about in terms of how you kept the, as many branches open as you could based on how many colleagues were available to work? But also things like planning of how much salary budget you give to each store, and any other considerations? What what kind of did that process look like and what things did you go through to make sure that as many branches were open as possible? So in the healthcare sector, we're unique in that we're accessible to all any time during we're open. So we wanted to maintain that. So being in the healthcare sector, we're obviously aware worldwide there's an issue. We're obviously aware that, that the situation in Britain is getting significantly worse. So the first thing we did is is created business continuity plans for, for every every department, including our, our branch teams. What what was essential? What would happen if sickness levels went up? What would happen if, if workload went up? What were our most vulnerable patients? And how would we ensure that they were looked after? So would there be a, a delivery, delivery capacity increase? What about our care homes? How would we ensure that they got their medicines being, being probably the most vulnerable people we look after? We created business continuity plans along those lines, almost looking at you know modeling what if what if uh, absence hits fifty percent, what if absence hits twenty percent, how do we prioritize our pharmacies? So if we have two pharmacies nearby, 
which one would we close to ensure that we've got one pharmacy open in location? Even when as far as looking at working with other pharmacies in the locality to ensure that we were able to offer a service in a community, which was very different to what we'd done before. In terms of in terms of salary, we just want to ensure we were open. Like I said, our, our, our number one priority is to be accessible. So almost we, we built in some contingency into the budget, a, a COVID contingency based upon all those factors we'd, we'd planned in, in our continuity plans. So a bit like the supermarkets in terms of they were kind of grouping together, weren't they, to try and make sure there was good supply because we went through that whole phase of no toilet roll, no pasta, no flour. You were had plans that potentially the primary objective was, regardless of the fascia, that there'd be somebody in those local communities that was open that they could access to get their medi- medication. But amazingly, our, our, our sickness in the first few weeks, which were, which was the most chaotic and the most uncertain, went up to 20% globally, and in some locations, 50%. And we still managed to trade in, in every one of our 750 pharmacies. So we may have we may have had to close for the, for the odd hour or two during a particular day, but our pharmacy resourcing team were working 16, 17 hours a day to ensure that we had a pharmacist so we could open the shutters so our patients could access, access their medicines because the, the main issue is if we had to pool resources, how would we how would we physically access the premises to get a person's medicines because they would be in that premises, that premises would be locked. So so our, our de facto position was we we do everything we could to ensure we could open our well pharmacies in all of our locations. Amazing. No, and and I know that three minute summary of how you did it, but the work that clearly went in behind the scenes and, and since has been tremendous to keep as many of those branches open that you can. In, in terms of pandemic planning, and I don't think many people probably recognise this, I know in my life at Boots, and I assume it's the same as well, we used to go through a yearly thing for pandemic planning for flu. You've got the basis of a process there that you go through each year. And I, I remember, again, there was a whole team of people that it was their job each year to go through a pandemic planning process based on if flu spikes, we need to close stores, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we did that as well for when it was swine flu. Yes. Same process kicked in. So again, I'm not sure probably a lot of the people listening to this will understand that in healthcare, there's lots of plans in place for, I wouldn't say COVID, but for similar things to COVID in terms of if if a pandemic hits the country, there's some really clear ways of working and process that you guys will have worked on year after year after year that, maybe have never been implemented so it was a it was a good thing you do that every year but actually a bad thing you kind of had to implement it if that makes sense we call it in our business we call it business continuity plan and it's for it's it's done like say on an annual basis it's a collaboration between professional teams operations to ensure like you say we have as much accessibility as possible it's unique to the pharmacy sector especially during covid how accessible we were in essence the the nhs NHS closed closed its doors to people who could just walk in. Pharmacy was the buck that trend, the exception to the rule. You know, it's something that as a, as an industry and as a business we can be really proud of because when people were frightened, scared, and certain, they could come and talk talk to their pharmacy teams. They could come and talk to a healthcare expert. Did you see any changes in customer behaviour during that time? Clearly, people were reticent to go out and made less trips. Maybe bought more from the the bigger supermarkets or the discounters that were open, but were there any obvious trends in customer behaviour in terms of buying? 
we had a massive spike in terms of our prescription volume in those first four to eight weeks. So if you think of toilet rolls, that was the initial the initial must-have item. When people realise that this may go on a lot longer, they, they, their attention diverted to medicines, and obviously they, they're far more significant, far more important. The repercussions of not being able to obtain those is, is far more important. People rushing to order, order medicines almost a, a bit of a concertina effect where we would expect people to come in regularly over the, over a month to collect their medication. People were ordering the medication right in those first few days. So we had a massive compression of our workload. So we had almost like four weeks of workload into that first week. And alongside that, our, our sickness went up over 20%. So we had a, a, an absence of more than of more than 20%. And we had a, a prescription spike of more than 20% requirement. So it was almost a perfect storm. How did you manage that? Because clearly we've worked together on protests and for those that are unfamiliar with pharmacy and the dispensing world, there's, if we kind of keep it simple, there's a, somebody walks in with their prescription, which is getting less and less these days, hands it over and they there to the pharmacist and they then go and check that, dispense that, check it, handing out. So that's a a walk-in. And then there's all the locked-in workload of repeat prescriptions. So they'll either phone the doctors or it'll be electronically sent and each two three four weeks they'll dispense that call you and say it's in so different different types but actually running a pharmacy the holy grail is almost to have more of the repeat stuff because you can plan that workload and less of the variable walk-in stuff because that's unknown so it must have been really difficult for the teams then because i assume there'll be less people walking in just because less people out and about but actually like you say more people pre-ordering three four five weeks worth of prescriptions which is a big impact on the workload as you say but with lesser workforce they they must have had to be really really regimented in the way they plan that to make sure people weren't having to make multiple trips because that kind of defeats the whole part of lockdown doesn't it the, the people on the front line were absolutely amazing truly amazing they were you know worked work to the bone in that period of time some of the things that we did as a business is that we we closed for portions of the day to allow them to basically get the drugs onto the shelves to be able to, be able to supply people, to be able to label those prescriptions, to do all the clinical checks that are required without having it. So, so you say there were there were less people coming in. There were actually in those first couple weeks more people coming into pharmacy because no other no other healthcare was was easily accessible. So we had a, we had a spike in in footfall in those first first few weeks. So let's say workload went up, capacity went down because we didn't have as many many people on the front line. So we had a like I say a perfect storm. So we had to we had to close for a period in the morning, a period midday, and a period in the afternoon to allow us to then reopen reopen the doors to be able to give the people the medicines they needed. Some of the things that helped us is that we had have and spoke models. So, so we were the first first pharmacy business to, to roll that out across the whole of the UK. And that helped us immensely. So we say frontline. We, we have two front lines. We have the front line who, who the who the customers walk in and uh, and interact with us, and the other front line is our our Mia Park Pharmacy in Stoke that does all our all our hub and spoke. So they're the hub. Without without those guys, they their workload went up hugely as well. So they had to be able to to process their end of of their role to be able to provide our pharmacies with the medicine so that we could provide the medicines to the. To the public, so so we've got a, a big warehouse in, in Stoke, and it has two things. It's a it's a standard warehouse, so so drugs come in from the manufacturers, and then we distribute those to our pharmacies. Like I say, we've got our, our hub pharmacy in there, so they supply ready ready prepared meds for our for our teams to hand out. 
So all the work, all the clinical work is done in the pharmacy. A lot of the dispensing process is done off-site and then returned in, in a complete form back to the pharmacy. So part of that process is if you're a patient of ours, we take your number and send you a text message when it's ready. So that really helped us because we didn't have people coming in and saying, is my prescription ready? And us saying no, and then either having to wait in the pharmacy, go away and come back. So when they received their text, they knew that their prescription was complete in our pharmacies. So our teams drove that through the roof. So we were knocking at 35 to 40% of our patients were on text messages. Currently, we're up 75, 80%, even over 90 in certain pharmacies. So that really, really helped us and it really helped patients during that time. Amazing. That's a really good example of where kind of that planning of how you're evolving dispensing and pharmacies kicked in and, and paid off, I suppose. So you mentioned there that the text messages were were up a significant percentage and I assume those people will kind of stay on that service. Are there any other changes you've seen that you think are here to stay from ways of operating in in the pharmacies or just general ways of working in the business from kind of that initial lockdown period? As all customer-facing environments have is the social distancing. So how do we maintain that? How do we how do we adapt to the rules? The rules are different in different countries. The rules are changing regularly. So so communication has been has been different. We've had to use different channels. We've used some of our colleague Facebook pages. We've got our standard communication channel, so everything's on there, but almost quick reminders that something's changed. Go and look at our our standard communication channels. This is fundamentally what's changed because if someone's out of the business because it's their day off, they're on holidays, almost they can can stay abreast of what's changed. So as soon as they come back into work, they they can hit the ground running. Probably the other thing is PPE. Again, massive credit has to go to, to our procurement team for really early doors ensuring that we had enough PPE to see us right throughout the, the COVID issue. And that's continued. So we're now launching our busiest ever flu season. So the NHS has done a great job, I think, in, in getting people to come into our pharmacies. And we are 100% busier on flu this year than last year. So that's brilliant because it means we're protecting more people. We're supporting the wider NHS. So I think there's some of the things that are here to stay, how, how we support the wider NHS. If there's a COVID vaccine, I'm sure we're going to be involved in administering that, how we plan that, how we how we do that safely, how we do that socially distancing, how we do that with PPE. So I think one of the one of the points you mentioned earlier is society may change in terms of when when it's flu season, people will be wearing masks. So all of that stuff is is relevant and I, and I believe is going to stay. The one thing we should probably recognise is that social distancing in a big supermarket is one thing trying to socially distance in a community pharmacy, which is typically, as it kind of says on the tin, small location, walk in, you've got a bit of retail stock on one side and the, the counter and then the team behind it is, an, is another thing. So as the weather deteriorates, as we enter various local lockdowns across the country, that that's going to be tricky for customers because from a distancing point of view, I assume in some of their branches, there's only one or two customers that can come in. So there's a whole people having to queue outside in poor weather, dark weather, rain, snow, which we've not, I don't think, as a nation experienced yet because the bulk of the lockdown was fortunately through nice weather. That's going to be a change as well, isn't it, for teams and for customers to get used to having to go and stand outside when it's not nice, which, again, may, may drive different behaviours, I think. So when when lockdown one happened, digital arm were 100% busier almost instantly. 
So we've seen a shift from, from people using bricks and mortar pharmacy into our digital pharmacy. We also introduced technology for our delivery network approximately started a year ago, and, and that's led to a, an increase in, in capacity for deliveries. We're far more productive now because we have route planners, everything's digital, and that has enabled us to, to deliver to more people. So what we're planning to do is during those, obviously, our bleak, our bleak British winters, we are obviously going to amalgamate that, sending out text messages so people will only come in when they get the message, and therefore they're, they're in and out quickly. And also we've increased our, our delivery capacity based upon the productivity we've, we've created by introducing that technology to our driver network. So there, there are a whole host of things we can do, but we still need to we still need to do more work on that to ensure that we don't get people waiting outside. Another problem is that people are waiting outside because they think they have to. So part of our role in, in, in our front lines is to say we have capacity for, for, for X amount of people in this in this location, depending on the size most of which, as you described, are pretty small. It's just almost become a learned behavior now that people walk up to a premises and wait outside. So if there's no one inside, they think no one's inside because they have to wait outside. So how do we get that? That's, that's a, local, a local thing we need to address to make sure that we, we get that people, get the people in, serve them, give them their healthcare needs, and then, and then they go out to allow the next person in. So that's, it's multifaceted and, and it, will, it will evolve as, as the weather gets more in, inclement, really. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see, like you say, there's some ingrained behaviours already, I think, about queuing and standing outside and being prepared. It'll be fascinating how that evolves over time, as I say, in various parts of the countries, you can do you can do different things or, or not. If we take pandemic and, and that piece of history out of the equation, where do you see pharmacy going? It's a, from the outside looking in, and we do a lot of work in the industry, it seems a, a tough environment to operate in due to you know, various government clawbacks on the cost that you guys get back for dispensing a, an item has been diminished over the years. Lots more focus seemingly on kind of retail side of things and non-dispensing potentially side of things. So what, what we'd know as services. So again, for people not familiar with this industry, services would be things like healthy heart, smoking cessation. There's a thing called an MUR, medical usage review, which for local pharmacies encouraged to do with their patients every year to make sure that the medicine's uh, correct and there's no big interactions or long-term effects so do you think it's going to go more service-led is it going to go more kind of retail-led where where's your head in terms of the future of pharmacy over the next kind of five to ten years the point you made around services is absolutely key so so matt hancock has has recognized again the access accessibility of pharmacy and our our direction of travel which has been massively accelerated has been how do we help the wider NHS? How do we take workload out of GP surgeries? They can concentrate on the more complicated cases because as, as the nation ages, the needs of those patients get more complex and GPs only have so many appointments a day. So if we can take some of those appointments for, for the less complex cases out of GPs into, into pharmacies where we have hugely ex, expert people, our pharmacists, able to do, do, do so many, so much for our patients, one direction of travel, the other direction of travel would be omni-channel. So we've, we've dabbled with this. In reality, we're probably multi-channel now, but we are moving to, a, to an omni-channel place and, and offer our patients convenience. So they may, want it, they may want it provided through our digital arm. How do we get a situation where they get their prescriptions through the digital arm, but they get their vaccine through one of our, one of our bricks and mortar pharmacies? So we need to be able to offer them the choice and convenience. And that's where we find ourselves, we believe it, in a really strong, strong position marketplace as, as opposed to a purely digital pharmacy. Because how does a purely digital pharmacy offer 
face-to-face services. There are some services that can be video. And we need to get clever about which ones are face-to-face. But again, it's about patient choice. So we've got to be clever on how we communicate what is available to our patients. So definitely, definitely a services agenda, definitely a, a, an agenda of, of, of patient choice. And how we how we join all those dots up. The better we join those dots up, the more seamless it will be for our patients. The other thing I probably didn't mention there as well is there seems to be lots more collaboration going on. So not within industry, because I think like we talked about before, that's a national emergency, the pandemic type of thing. But almost outside of your industry, there's people collaborating. So I think a couple of weeks ago, Asda and B&Q are doing a, a collaboration. Everybody seems to be doing stuff with Deliveroo all of a sudden. So actually, why couldn't you start to deliver deliver stuff out in a, a different way than having a kind of local delivery network. So, yeah, I'm fascinated generally in, in retail, but more so in pharmacy, having spent a lot of my life in that industry and learnt about it, where it goes. Because like you say, there's, there's really different flavours that it could end up being, and I'm sure some people will pick a, a multitude of those. Some will hang their hat on one, and like ever, there's probably no right or wrong answer. The customers will dictate what works for them if they choose to help for local pharmacies to distribute the flu vaccine there that's another big step isn't it in terms of that pressure relief on the nhs maybe more triage services like you say that free up gps and practice nurses time i think pharmacies have always been part of the community for me i think the journey is they become more of that and maybe the pharmacist is the first person you talk to when you're not feeling great or you've got a, some concerns about some part of your health rather than the GP. Because like you say, we're going to have probably a bigger population of older people that live longer. So the current mechanism of dealing up with all that through the G probably doesn't work in 10 years' time, does it? Or or in a physical way even. Absolutely. You're, you're spot on there. Probably the, the direction of travel has already started. So, so pre-COVID, NHS England launched a service whereby 111 can triage straight to pharmacies. So, so for a minor ailment, you ring up, you say, this is wrong with me. And they say, where do you live? Which pharmacy do you want to use? And, and, and they ping they ping a, a summary. And then the pharmacist talks to the patient and provides the appropriate treatment or the appropriate advice. There was also the opportunity for GPs to do that. So when you contact your GP and, I have, and you say, I have such and such ailment, they can then refer, rather than booking you an appointment, they can refer you to the pharmacy and book you an appointment with the pharmacist for, for a minor ailment. And and that kind of stopped for a moment during COVID, but it's, it's just restarting now. So, so that service it, it is has launched, and there will be other similar services, to, like say, to remove patients from less complex patients from the GP environment into the into the pharmacy environment. And our our role in, in the productivity team is to ensure that we maximise the, the pharmacist expertise. So we have to have a pharmacist on the premises for every single hour we're open. In some of our low volume branches, the pharmacists are, are doing doing work that uh, that isn't particularly requiring their expertise. So, so our job as the productivity team is to ensure that we we target the pharmacies with the most capacity because therefore we can help the, help the local surgeries and help the NHS in a greater way. Yeah, and again, for those those people that again aren't necessarily familiar with the pharmacy industry, that requirement to have one pharmacist per trade now makes a massive difference all of a sudden to your cost base. So you've got to keep that expertise that professional body occupied with good quality work otherwise you start to build layers of people on top and it becomes a very expensive operation all of a sudden it's not not like retail where you've got a store manager for 40 hours a week but the store might be open 100 so you 
backfill with different levels of, of leadership structure. You've got to have a pharmacist employed, a, a locum, a relief for every trading hour. So that that's a big, big challenge when you come to your world, Matt, in terms of productivity and planning, because you've got this really linear base cost before you've dispensed anything. Absolutely. They are they are our most expensive personnel. They're also our most our most clinically skilled personnel. Our role is to make sure we maximize their, their clinical skills to to increase their productivity and output. And that, that's ultimately what, what we're doing with our with, with some of the models we're using to identify where those where those opportunities are. Because if we have a pharmacy where the pharmacist capacity is almost full, we don't have any room to put additional services in there. We would have to get another pharmacist to do that. But we may have a, a pharmacy close by that has capacity. So if we're going to launch a travel clinic, if we're going to launch some private service, e.g. pneumonia, chicken pox, therefore we'd launch it in, in that pharmacy. So the patients who, who go to our pharmacy with the pharmacy is full say, yes, we can offer the services, but it, it's in our pharmacy. It's in our pharmacy very close by. And therefore we're maximizing, we're maximizing across our estate. Then we're not focusing on individual sites. We're going where, where as a cluster can we maximize our opportunities to become more productive? Amazing. Well, I look forward to charting the progress. I think it's it's a fascinating industry, an industry that's that's going to evolve quite rapidly, has done, like you say, over the last six months, but will continue to do so over the next five to ten years, I'm sure, as well. And and hats off to your to your teams as well for keeping the branches open, for serving the nation through a, an amazingly difficult time. I think you've all, everybody in the industry has done a, an amazing job of doing the best they can in really difficult unsure circumstances so yeah hats off to the team uh, certainly and well great job great job final question then before i let you go so what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given may i have two simon yeah of course you can there you go. that's the first one ask if you don't ask sometimes you don't get and it's that simple simple action of just asking for something asking for help asking for resource you, the worst scenario that can happen is someone says no so you're still in the same position so so always ask a question. And then the other one is be adaptable. So be adaptable personally, be adaptable as a business, because as, as we've just seen, change is happening every single day and it's accelerating, technology is accelerating that, smartphones are accelerating that. Be, be an advocate of change, be adaptable because it's it's inevitable. There's no point resisting it because it's happening, like I say, faster and faster and faster. So ask the question, don't be afraid to ask the question and adaptability or, or being a, being an advocate of change. No, I like those. And I'm sure as as 2020 comes to a close, we'll all look back. It's been a, a year of change that we couldn't have even imagined. Yeah, it sets us up well, hopefully for the future in terms of adaptability, as you say. It's been a pleasure to catch up, Matt, as always. We'll catch up soon. But in the meantime, look after yourself and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Simon. You look after yourself and your family too. Thank you for inviting me on.